0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. All right, so last week, hopefully you were with us or watching online with us, uh, we started a new sermon series called This is the Will of of God for us. This is the will of God for us. And, and last week we primarily learned, we, hopefully we learned a lot of things, but we primarily learned that when it comes to discovering God's will for our lives, that generally speaking, anyways, um, this isn't some big mystery that we need to solve. Since we've already been told in scripture what God wills and desires for us, in, in every facet of life, no matter where, we at, where we're at or where we find ourselves or what circumstances we're in. And, and in the same vein then, as, as, we, as we seek to understand and then do these things, which we know God has willed for us and equipped us and empowered us to do, then in turn we'll become even more receptive to the Spirit's leading and, and hopefully wiser in making particular or specific decisions in our lives that the Bible isn't clear on. As April Model writes, as we faithfully follow the general foundational principles of being committed to Christ as revealed in Scripture, God faithfully reveals the specifics of His will as needed. And so today we'll be continuing that theme. Today we'll be learning about what is, in, in my opinion, the greatest and most wonderful thing that God has willed for us, and it's this, to be saved and eternally satisfied in him through Jesus Christ. This is God's will for us. So please turn with me now to John 6. We're going to be starting at verses 32 and and reading to verse 40. John 6, 32 to 40 should be up there on the screen for you as well. John 6, 32, 40. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This, this past Sunday, last week, Someone from the, the congregation graciously gifted my family with a homemade banana bread loaf. It was quite the pleasant surprise to see it waiting on our kitchen counter when I got home from church. And I have to say that it was delicious, and, and we, we all enjoyed it immensely, so thank you to that person for that. But but here's the thing. The issue I'm having now is that, unfortunately, it's it's all gone, right? We ate it, and now it's gone. Isn't that the worst, right? <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering, would it be, just let me know, would, would it be rude to ask that person to give me more of this banana bread loaf and at all times? Okay, yeah, right. Now that I say it out loud, it does sound a little excessive. Um, but wouldn't that be great, though? An endless supply of banana, banana bread dropped off at my house weekly. Maybe we can get a church group together to make that happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> a, a serving group. Yeah, we, we need some more volunteers. Anyone? Um, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but this is pretty much what, what God did for the Israelites when, when they wandered through the desert for 40 years after being rescued from their captivity in Egypt. Every day, except on the Sabbath, God provided a bread-type substance called manna to, to fall on the earth from heaven for them so that they would always have enough to, to satiate their hunger, so that each day they would have their fill and they would never go hungry. And, and this, in and of itself, gives us an idea of, of God's desire for his people, that, that, that he wants them to be satisfied and, provided for. and not only that, but he wants them to be satisfied in him, in his provision. Psalm 107, verses 8 to 9, responds to that, and it says it like this. It says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is what God does for us. But yet, when we look back at the the desert, this manna that they ate, while an incredible gift from God that he provided each day for them, it was still food. And like the banana bread I received... It only satisfied their hunger temporarily. They always needed more. And what they didn't eat perished the next day. In a similar fashion, Jesus, at one point, he miraculously fed, you probably heard about this story, he miraculously fed 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. But then on the next day, that same crowd and people who heard about it were hungry again. And so they sought out Jesus in the hopes that they could could have a free breakfast, in hopes that they could eat more free bread. And and the thing is that that they were right to seek Jesus for their nourishment, but not in the way that they they expected. And so Jesus said to them, John 6, 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves. But do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, so Jesus is saying them, them, in a nutshell, you're coming to me to only you know, feed your bellies for a day, but I've been sent by God to give you something that'll satisfy you for eternity. A bread from heaven that brings life to the world. And yet, still with their stomachs growling and and food on their minds, they blurt out, give us this bread, always. I mean, I I didn't actually eat breakfast this morning, so I get why food would be on their brain. I'd probably have asked the same thing. But, But the thing is, Jesus isn't talking about physical food. He's talking about himself. He wasn't there to satisfy their bellies for a day but to bring nourishment to their souls for eternity. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus here is pretty much saying that he's the fulfillment of Psalm 107, which we just read earlier. He's the one God has sent to satisfy the thirsty and hungry souls. He is the bread of life. He is the fulfillment and source of God's desire to see people eternally satisfied in him. And and this is the way it was always supposed to be, to to be satisfied in God. If we go back to to Genesis in, in the garden, God created mankind to dwell with him and to be in relationship with him. It was our sin and our disobedience that distorted that and took us away from that, as, as Mark Sayers writes, expelled from Eden, Adam and Eve lose their divinely given roles. Their constant companion was no longer God's presence, but instead shame, anxiety, and isolation. And, and during this, this pandemic and with everything else that's going on 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 in the world right now, let's, we're experiencing these things, right? We're experiencing these effects of sin on a global scale, especially today. This shame, this anxiety, this isolation. But by his grace, God promised a way for our sin to be defeated. Not only so that we could be forgiven, but ultimately so that we could be reconciled back to God. God so that our souls could once again be satisfied in him and in his presence. And Jesus was the plan to make this happen. In fact, Jesus tells them straight up that the reason he was sent because this was the will of God. John 6, 38 to 40, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus came to us because this was God's plan. That we would not perish in our sin, but have eternal life. And what's eternal life? Is it, is it just being in heaven? It's more than that. John 17, verse 3. Jesus prays this. He says, and this is eternal life. He defines it for us. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know the Father and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. To be eternally satisfied in him. That's eternal life. And so, let, let me reiterate this just one more time, because I think we, 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 we forget, we often forget how incredible this is sometimes. That the will of the God of the universe the holy God who's set apart from, from sin outside of creation, the Alpha and Omega, the creator of heaven and earth, his will is that we, me, you, will know him and be known by him. That's incredible. There's nothing more incredible or more important than that the late theologian J.I. Packer who sadly just passed away this week sad for us but glorious for him because he's a, he's experiencing right now this quote that I'm about to read which he wrote in a book called Knowing God he wrote this he said what were we made for to know god what aim should we have in life to know god What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. And what in humans gives God the most pleasure? Knowledge of Himself. This is the will of God to know Him, to dwell with Him in eternity. Again, this is why he sent his one and only son to redeem us at the cross so that we'd, we'd no longer be slaves to, to the ways of, of the, the world, that we'd no longer be slaves to, to the sin which, which kept us from him so that by his grace, we could be set free from, from our guilt And and from our our shame and and from our addictions and our our worldly desires and our our greed, our lust, our our idolatry, our hate, our bitterness, our self-righteousness, our insecurities and our failures and everything else which truly never desires and only leads to death. So that we can freely lay all of those things down at the foot of the cross and find forgiveness so that we can be renewed. Ultimately, so that we can be eternally and truly satisfied. In him, and the truth is we need to we need to know this that God doesn 't desire our destruction, contrary to to, to popular belief on twitter he 's not itching to, to to punish us for our sin he 's not this this angry God reveling in, in watching us walk blindly in the darkness of this broken world until we die. No, his, his will and his pleasure is that we would walk in the light of his truth and mercy, in, into the way of true and abiding life, that we live in his kingdom. As it says in Ezekiel 18, 32, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is what God wills for you and for us. Through Christ Jesus, to turn to him and live, to experience spiritual renewal to be born again into new life. This is why Jesus took the weight of our sin unto death on the cross and conquered it in his resurrection so that we would not perish in our sin, but so that we could have life everlasting. John 3.16 says it like this, For God loved the world, in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So this was, this was always God's plan. Before the foundation of the world and for the fullness of time, and this is why, why Jesus tells the crowd, work for this bread. And of course the crowd asks him, because they don't understand what's going on. What, what work must we do to get this bread? And his answer is simply this, to believe in the one God has sent. Believe in Jesus. Place your faith in him. It was to this end that the apostle Peter proclaimed to the crowd on the day of Pentecost and is that which I now implore for each of you as well. From Acts 2, 38, he says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. This, this promise of forgiveness is for all who believe. No matter how far off you think you are from, from God, no matter what you've done, or, or how deserving or undeserving you think you are, the Lord's desire is to draw you back into his loving arms, into his presence, to fill you with his spirit And this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. Even as we await this promise of eternal life, God also invites us to partner with him in accomplishing this will. Again, again again, this was also the way God designed it to be in the garden. For mankind to partner with God in accomplishing his purpose, his will. And now, through Christ, this is also what God is redeeming for us to bring us back into his kingdom purpose, into living out and for his divine and perfect plan. As Richard Strauss writes, the first point in God's plan for your life, therefore, is that you be saved. You must start here if you ever hope to know the rest of God's will. So our salvation in Christ is, is only the beginning. It's the foundation for leaning into God's will concerning everything else in our lives. And we're going to be talking about this and opening up this idea more as we, as we go throughout this, our series this summer. But today, I, I want to remind and encourage us to remember that, that if God's will is to see his people satisfied in him through salvation in Jesus Christ. And if Christ, if Christ now lives in us through the power of his Holy Spirit, then this should be our mandate as well. With the heart of Christ, our desire should be God's desire. And again, what's God's desire? 1 Timothy 2.4 says, says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And again, in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of eternal life, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's, so God's will for us, <clears throat> while we still live on this earth, is to partner with him in this. In his desire to lead others to the bread of life, where they can repent and be satisfied in him. Just as Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Or as he commanded them in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. What's God's will for my life? What's God's will? To go and make disciples. To go and tell people about Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Filled with the Spirit of God, our our primary purpose as the church, as the body of Christ, is to bring the presence and love of God into our communities, into our workplaces, into our family gatherings, into our homes, into our city, into our country, and throughout the world wherever we find ourselves, we need to realize that we've been placed there by God with a purpose. Oh God, why did you bring me here? Why am I going through this? With a purpose to glorify and proclaim the name of Jesus. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Dangers of a Shallow Faith, reminds us, He says says in his book, he he reminds us that the Bible always sends us out in the world. But never to compromise with the world. And never to walk in the way of the world. But only to save as many as we can. That is the one direction. And so, my Christian friend, if you are settling back, Snuggling into your foam rubber chair and resting in your faith in John 3.16 and the fact that you have accepted Jesus Christ, you had better watch yourself. Convicting words for all of us. But an important reminder that we're not meant to just accept Jesus as Lord and then just sit around and do nothing while we wait for his promise of eternity. No, our new life in Christ, that is living and walking out in his will and his purpose for us, starts at the moment we believe. And so again, the primary thing which God calls us to in this life is to be witnesses of his grace and love, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's our church's passion statement, by the way, because it underlines everything we do as Christians. This is the will of God for us. And this is how, how Jesus even taught us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer is, is, is that the world would know and be in the presence of the Father because that's what, it, that's what it is to be in heaven. To know and dwell with God the Father. And we know Jesus is, is the way to him. We've experienced it and should then be fired up to tell others about it. And in the same vein, if, if being witnesses for Christ is, is truly our desire and priority as believers, then how could this not in turn affect all of our other decisions in everyday life? Obviously, this doesn't mean, always mean a call to missions or ministry, and it could, but, it's, but it should also definitely affect the way we behave and, and communicate at work, right, with our coworkers and our employers or employees, or the way we teach and raise our children, or in deciding who we should marry or if we should stay single so that we're not distracted in the mission. Or, or, or the way we spend our time in private or with others. Or the way we use the gifts and skills we've been given. Or the way we spend or invest our money and time. And, and it can even help us in deciding big decisions like, you know, whether, whether to go to Bible college or, or to secular university. And by that, I mean whether you want to grow in the knowledge of the gospel or whether you feel God's calling you to go to a place that desperately needs to hear it. In the end, walking in in God's will and purpose of proclaiming the gospel is going to look different for each of us in our lives and and at different times in our lives. But in order to discern what that's supposed to look like, we should regularly ask ourselves, before we make decisions, especially big ones, but also smaller ones as well, we should ask ourselves, is, is, is this, is the decision I'm about to make, is this going to give me an opportunity to represent Christ and proclaim the gospel? Say someone, someone hurts your feelings. All right, you have a decision to make in that moment. Are you going to harbor bitterness against them? Or are you going to forgive them? Which, which decision will represent Christ and give you an opportunity to present the gospel? Right? To forgive them as Christ has forgiven you so that you can tell them why. Right? Because again, underlying everything God wills for us, this, this is the eternal goal. This is, this is the priority number one. To know him and Jesus Christ whom he sent. To experience the eternal satisfaction that can only come from him. And then to partner with him in the power of his spirit in proclaiming it to the world. This is the will of God for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we think about your amazing grace and your love with which you poured out for us through sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take the weight of our sin on the cross, to bear our shame, to conquer death and his resurrection, when we think about all those things, Lord, it, it, it fills my heart with, with such thankfulness and, and, and joy. Knowing your desire and, and for us is to know you. Lord, how incredible is that that you desire for us to know you, you desire for us to, to live. And we thank you that, that you made that possible, that you made a way for us, Lord. Lord, I want to lift up anyone in this room or anyone listening online right now, Lord God, anyone that's, that's, that's still bogged down by, by shame or, or addictions, that doesn't know you yet, Lord God, I pray that you would draw them into your arms through, through the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, Lord. That you would that you would free them from those chains so that they that they would turn to you and live, Lord. And I pray for those of us who have experienced that that grace and that salvation, who know what it what it what it means to be satisfied in you, Lord, that we would grow in that. And that we would we would understand and, and be empowered to, to proclaim that to the world. Lord, how amazing it is, what a privilege it is that you have called us to partner with you in accomplishing your will on earth as it is in heaven. Let's never forget how amazing that is. And I pray that, Lord, that all we do in this life, Lord, would be glorifying to you, would be a proclamation of your gospel, of your good news, of your satisfaction, of your life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.